Facts of Faith on SAFM. Good morning, welcome. You're listening to Facts of Faith. I'm Nayelo Pondona with you until 11 o'clock. We're going to program by talking about one and one thing alone, issues of faith, and we always end on that very note, so please take note. If you'd like to join in the conversation, feel free to die right now, 0891-104207. Once again, 0891-104207. And if you'd like to send a text message, you can send a text message to 40938. Don't panic. I'll tell you that just before we go on. But those are our means of communication. You can find me on social media as Nayelo Pondona live. That's me on Twitter and on Facebook, Naye Lupondwana, live. Today we focus on the issue of New Ageism within the faith of Islam. Last week we spoke about New Ageism in Christianity. Well, you will make what you wish of what happened last week. But this week we try and tackle if we do understand this concept and if the Quran, the Holy Quran does accommodate a new way of living Islamism. And I'm using that with all the respect ever possible to conjure up. So we have two guests who will be giving us some perspective to help us understand what exactly is New Age Islam. Is there such a thing as New Age Islam? Some uh, well, theologians, Islamic theologians, allege there is no such thing. There is just a new way of looking at it. Some people believe there is New Age Islam. Actually, Islam in the Quran has been outdated. So if there is or not, we will learn today, at least from the perspective of the two guests we have invited to give us some perspective. So... Feel free to join in also from the beginning of the program, 0891-104207, 0891-104207. If you'd like to send a text message, send it to 40938, 40938. The question we're trying to get answered is, why? Why should there be a new age of faith? If we believe that this God, this omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful God knows and controls everything from the beginning to the end, why would there be a flaw and failure to foresee what's going to happen in the future and not include it in this document, the Quran? If we all believe in the omniscience and omnipotence of God, why should there be a need for a new kind of thing? If we believe that this God is omniscient and all-knowing, that's our question for today. Should religion be more inclusive of the times we are living in, at least as far as the document is concerned? Facts of Faith begins right now. You're listening to Facts of Faith on SAFM. The views and ideas expressed in this program are views expressly of the people sharing them and not of the anchor or that of this broadcaster. All persons, juristic or natural, are to be held responsible for their own representations offered on this program by their agents and not this corporation. Any and all consumption of our conversational substance is entirely at your own discretion. Please be advised that this program airs subject matter that has the potential to destabilize and challenge your intellectual equilibrium. 
appropriate. If you are excitable, profound caution when consuming our subject matter is advised. Participation in this program is a voluntary enterprise and as such is expected to be considered and deliberated on. Kindly note that, just as the anchor is, all participants, guests and callers are encouraged to engage in this our freedom of expression and any of our civil liberties responsibly. Facts of Faith begins right now. Now let me introduce you to our guest for this morning. Our first guest is Yusuf Ismail. He's an attorney at Legal Aid Board and Islamic Propagation Center International, IPC, giving us some perspective on the question we're trying to get to. Good morning to you, Yusuf, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good morning, Maya. It's been good to be on your program again. Also, we do have Dr. Taj Hargi, an Islamic theologian from the Oxford Center for British Islam. Muslim Education Center of Oxford, founder of the Open Mosque, and here has given us some perspective on progressive Islam. Now, take note, they don't hold the view that the word should be used, New Age, like we spoke about Christianity last week. It is, however, a new way of looking at it, different from what is propagated by Orthodox Muslims. So, I want to still understand what exactly we're talking about. His terminology will be progressive Islam. Perhaps we need to understand what exactly there is. Implied in the statement of progressive Islam is that Islam as we know it is not progressive or else there would not be a need for him to call it progressive. So let's get down to our uh, business. Dr. Hargi, good morning to you and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Uh, Good morning to you and your listeners. Let's begin with you, Dr. Hargi. What exactly is progressive Islam? Well, we're talking about Islam that has relevance and pertinence to this century we're living in. It doesn't mean that the religion itself has become... uh, fossilized, but Muslims have become fossilized. I mean, we need to interpret the Quran, which we believe is the word of God, for our day and age, not through the lenses of someone in the 7th century or the 11th century or the 15th century. We need to look at the Quran through the lens of someone in, in the 21st century. And that means you look at the Quran with fresh eyes, without being contaminated by the past, and to see how it actually deals with, with issues and, and, and problems of today. In other words, we need to... The Qur'an is it's a document that's timeless and timely. And that would mean that we would need to interpret it for our age, for our time, and not, like I've repeated, for people of a bygone era. So, so in, Islam has to become uh, relevant and pertinent to our time. Let me try and understand this, and please correct me if I'm wrong. If you're saying you're trying to make it relevant... Is it not fitting to allege that perhaps what you are saying is, as it is right now, it is not relevant? Well, because if, if people are focusing on ritual, for example, people think that being a Muslim, you need to have a big, bushy beard. To be a Muslim, you need to have your hair covered. To be a Muslim, you need to have a face mask if you're a woman. Those are not nothing to do with Islam. In fact, those things, the wild bushy beard, the uh, facial mask, the head covering for women, it's not even mentioned in the Quran. This is a, a, a medieval interpretation, a patriarchal perspective that says, yes, we need a uniform Islam. Muslims can only be Muslims when they have a uniform, wearing strange uh, pajama-like dresses, uh, wearing a, a bushy beard, uh, covering your face and so forth. That type of ritual Islam, I would say, with due respect to all Muslims who do that, 
that is, that is not part of Islam. Islam doesn't need external symbolism, superficial emblems. That doesn't make you a Muslim. What's the purpose of someone wearing a, uh, a face mask, wearing a, a wild bushy beard, doesn't pick up the banana peel on the pavement? What's the point of that? I mean, Islam is about action and not about, you know, uh, 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 presenting yourself with a, a, specific, a specific uniform that, by the way, has no relevance to Islam and has certainly no pertinence to South Africa. I mean, people, in, for example, the Tuaregs in, uh, in places like Mali and in, uh, in the Sahel in the region of Africa, the men cover their faces. Why? Because of dust and heat in, in, in that society. But why do we need it here in South Africa? Or like I'm talking from Cape Town. Why do we need it in the streets of Cape Town? Uh, and uh, the other important issue about face masking is women are banned from wearing face masks in Mecca, the citadel of Islam. Uh, so if it's uh, prohibited there, why do they need it in the streets of Johannesburg or Durban or Cape Town or wherever? This type of ritualist Islam, this type of sort of superficial Islam, is not going to deliver the goods. And that's why we have Muslims either veering towards two extremes, either becoming Muslim only by name. In other words, your name is Muhammad, and now you become Mo. Your name is Ali, you become Al. That type of superficial nominal Islam. Or they become extremists. And in reality, Islam actually is a religion of balance, of equilibrium. It talks, uh, the Quran talks about al-Mizan, that, you know, it is a moderate, it, 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 it's the middle path, it's not the extremist path. And so when you have a ritualist Islam, ritualistic robotic Islam that's fossilized, then clearly this will not deliver the goods. And that's why I started three years ago, that's why I started three years ago to uh, 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 establish the open, open mosque in Cape Town. Okay. All right, it's loud and clear. Uh, let, me, let me just finish. Uh, me this. Uh, uh, and the reason I started the open mosque in Cape Town was very simple. That we need an Islam that talks for the youth and for the people of today. So this mosque is uh, uh, unique in the world. It is the only mosque, the only mosque, and I say this without any fear of contradiction, that has a, lot, a huge billboard that says all welcome. You go anywhere in the world, you can't find a mosque that says all welcome. Number one. Number two, we say we are Quran-centric, meaning we focus on what the Quran says, which we believe in the divine word of God, and not on the man-made sources, uh, like the supposed saying that the Prophet Muhammad was written 300 years later after his death, or the Sharia, which masquerades as divine law, when in reality it is the opinion of uh, medieval theologians, or fatwas, which are the religious verdicts of individual priests and, and clergymen. And we also say we are non uh, uh, Sectarian, so we have allowed Sunni, Shia, Wahhabi, any faith, any denomination to enter the mosque. We don't make any discrimination. And most importantly, we say we are gender equal, meaning that uh, men and women come through the same entrance in the mosque. There's no separate entrance for the genders, because in the mosque in Mecca, everyone enters together and pray together. And similarly, at the open mosque, men and women pray together. So all of these things make the mosque rather unique. And this is the way forward. A liberal, progressive Islam based purely on the, on the word of God, but interpreted for our day and age for 21st century South Africans. 
All right, let's clarify this. You made mention of the hadith, the sharia, and the fatwa. Am I correct? And you're saying these Sorry? are not these are not the Quran and they are not the true word of God. Well, to stop conflating and confusing, I'm not saying you do, but many people do. We should stop conflating and confusing uh, what is divine authority, which means the Quran, and what is man-made, uh, manufactured sources. Now, what are these manufactured sources? I call it the toxic triplets of Islam, meaning the toxic or the terrible trio of Islam. Just very briefly. Number one, it is the Hadith, supposedly, allegedly, the saints of Muhammad, the Prophet, but written 250 to 500 years after his death. Clearly, it's a case of Chinese whispers, because I can go into this on a scholarly level and debunk most of these hadiths. Okay? Uh, uh, the, the, in fact, most, many of these hadiths con- contradict the Quran. So uh, that's the first source that is suspect and spurious. The second source is the Sharia. And Sharia is being uh, projected as divine law, when in reality, like I said earlier, it is a uh, concoction of medieval opinion masquerading as divine law. And then thirdly, we have the fatwa, the most, the most infamous in recent times, the fatwa of uh, Khomeini against the writer Salman Rushdie. You know, saying that he should be killed for writing the book Satanic Verses. And you get all kinds of fatwas that right now in South Africa about various issues and items. All by individual scholars, supposed scholars, uh, priests I call them, who uh, 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 interpret Islam a way they wish, meaning patriarchal, it is misogynistic, it is biased, it is tribalistic, it is nationalistic, and so forth, and then come up with ideas that says that uh, 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 Islam is this. But in reality, it is what the Quran says. And all of these three things, the, uh, the fatwa, the hadith, the sharia, for example, when it comes to women, they say a woman should be at home on a Friday because it's better for them there rather than going to the mosque. Now, the Quran in chapter 62, verse 9, says exactly the opposite, that both men and women need to go to Friday prayers. It's a, it's a compulsory requirement of their faith. And I can cite you hundreds, you know, thousands of examples where the Hadith contradicts the Quran. All right. Sharia, uh, 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 Dr. Harge, I got you. I got you. I need to give the other side the opportunity to speak. Dr. Hargi, we got you and I've jotted down some very interesting points. When we return from the break, we'll come back and give uh, Yusuf an opportunity to speak also. Yusuf is is an attorney and he's speaking uh, as a Muslim also. We need to get his perspective also as a Muslim, what he is saying about what you're saying. Because, again, the premise of suggesting that uh, progressive Islam is the way to go implies that islam as it is is not progressive we'll come back and give you some opportunity to breathe on this matter also stand by naye lupondwana on facts of faith all right now we're joined um um we have he's been here all along i do beg your pardon he's not only joining us now uh we're going to give the opportunity to speak to yusuf's smile yusuf you've heard what dr harge is suggesting Uh, your take Yeah, sure. Well, firstly, let me start off by saying that, you know, the term progressive Islam and the term traditional Islam, in fact, obfuscates more than what it basically clarifies. If you want to talk purely, I mean, certainly tradition. Tradition, uh, Traditions are not something which are static. They're constantly reinvented. So if a a tradition stays a tradition by reinventing itself, but if it doesn't reinvent itself, then what happens, Naya, is that it becomes a custom and it becomes effectively oppressive. And so 
part of the contemporary problem in the Muslim world today is that a large part of the tradition is in fact falsified and frozen in history. Uh, but I would argue that a great deal of these traditions actually come from what I would call manuscript interpretations and cultural accretions that have in fact nothing to do with Islam. I mean, if you want to look at the whole notion of the Quran itself, is the Quran a traditional book? Well, I would argue no, it's a fundamentally a progressive book because as a result of the Quran in the 6th century in an oppressive backward, um, sanguinary warfare society, you had the idea that women were, for example, given the rights to economic independence. In a nation that had been practicing infanticide, women were allowed to own property. Um, women were given the rights to inherit. Women were allowed to educate. Uh, were given the rights of education. In fact, there was a movement towards the abolition um, of slavery in the early Islamic period. Now, one may also add that even if we look at Islamic history, for example, uh, we have a lot of progressive notions and movements Two Muslim women, and Taj Hargi may know about this, one is called Fatima and Maryam al-Firhi. They created the, fir the, fir the world's first Islamic university in Fez called the Al-Karawiyin in the year 859. And for several years you find that students were schooled, uh, they acquired degrees, and the whole notion of awarding degrees based on satisfactory performances subsequently um, moved on to universities in Italy and, of course, Oxford University and so on. And so one can obviously speak about the fact, you speak about Spanish Muslims at Andalusia, and a lot of them involved in contributions towards medicine, towards um, um, astronomy, towards mathematics, towards physics. So I would argue that from the Quranic point of view, certainly the Quran, in fact, leads to and produces a progressive society as opposed to um, you know how people somehow or the other interpret their you said allow me to interject allow me to interject right sure. there I, I can appreciate what you're saying i don't think taj harge is disputing what you're saying as far as the no, quran we agree. i'm in agreement with him yeah what what he's suggesting is the quran in and by itself is holy and timeless but what he is arguing is that islam as is practiced today is so regressive and robotic and all the words he used that he, he to, to denigrate what it is and he's not talking about the quran he's talking about how islam has been propagated as we know it he's made mention of the wild bushy beard the head covering uh, the, the 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 way that the in the quran has been interpreted today is backward yeah. in fact it's even alleging that what many have alleged is the true word of god like the uh, the hadith the sharia and well he added the fatwas there and he's alleging yeah. all of these are pseudo scriptural they're not real yeah. scriptures and He's suggesting that Islam, as we know it today, is not all welcoming. It welcomes certain, it's very uh, segregationalist, and it is not what it's supposed to be, as declared yeah. by the Quran. Well, I would, I, would, I, would, I would agree that certain manifestations of Islam today are retrogressive. And I think the problem behind this, Naya, uh, is that the growth of conservatism um, or traditionalism, I think the actual word is traditionalism, is in fact produced by fear. When you fear change, you look inwards and try to create boundaries. And I think uh, one of the reasons why you have, you know, he mentioned some movements like the Wahhabi movement, the Salafi movement, and so on. A lot of the movements that have developed in the 20th century are as a direct result of the corroding uh, elements of modernism, postmodernism, and the post-normal society that we basically live in. And so as a result of that, people come together, they focus on their particular group, they create an us-versus-them boundary in the effort to navigate the sea of change, 
And of course, you know, with fear of the others already being there, when you bring in rapid change, it increases manifold, and so uncertainty becomes dominant. And so people who want certainty often find it in certain literal notions of religion. And so they simplify things and make clear-cut lists of do's and don'ts. And so that, in fact, creates an illusion of certainty, because in the end there is no ultimate certainty. And so I think a religious person or a true Muslim um, has to be optimistic by nature because religion and religious scripture is all about hope. But when you look at what Islam stands for, I mean, you see, you see, the problem is in the question, is there something called traditional Islam and progressive Islam? I would argue that uh, certain trends within the Islamic world today are indeed retrogressive. But if you are talking purely from a solar scriptura point of view, which is primary uh, speaking the Quran, we would argue that utilizing the Quranic text uh, one could basically create a progressive society. One may also add, and I, is that within the Islamic parlance, there's something called ijtihad. Now, ijtihad is a reason and sustained struggle whereby you basically interpret the Quran and, in fact, make it relevant to society. If we believe that the Quran is, in fact, internal, you know, it doesn't provide ready-made solutions to the problems in society. But what it does do is that it creates a just and moral perspective within which we as Muslims and as individual human beings can find the solutions to some of the problems that we see in today's society. So what are you there, again, therefore saying, I, Yusuf? Are you therefore suggesting that there is progressive Islam, because, progressive Islam because we have identified some retrogressive practices within traditional Islam? Well, well I would argue that they are progressive uh, interpretations. Uh, well, let me put it this way. I would argue that they are retrogressive manifestations of Islam in the world today. Giving rise to the need for progressive Islam. Well, I would argue a need more for a Quranic-centered Islam in the sense whereby we basically utilize the eternal ethical paradigm and try and contextualize it within the 21st century. To utilize the term progressive traditionally basically gives the idea, and this is a problem, it gives the idea that somehow or the other Islam at its fundamental core sources, this is an interpretation that people could lead to, that at its fundamental core needs somehow the other needs to be updated. And our particular argument is that the Quran as a book is eternal. It was indeed progressive in the 6th century. And in the 21st century, it is fundamentally a progressive book. Again, again, um, Yusuf, you, you're, you're conflating the two. He did agree with you that the Quran, the document, is timeless. That's what you're saying right now. There's no need for us to harp absolutely. on that. What we need to understand yeah. is the need for their practice that comes out of the document. I, I, is the practice I, I, Islamic as far as the, doc the document is concerned? I beg your pardon? Is the practice, is what we see being, being practiced is under the banner of Islam, Islamic? Is it, is it Islamic no, as far as... not at all. In fact, in, fact, in fact, I would argue that if you look at most of these countries, Saudi Arabia, parts of Iran, you, 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 have, you have a kind of a dominant trend of ultra-conservatism that is basically in place, which is indeed anti-Quranic and un-Islamic, as Taj pointed out. And, and the argument behind that is because of the fact that people find themselves put together in these kind of enclaves and um, are fearful of change. And I think modernism has a, a fundamental rule, uh, a, 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 a role to play in this, and indeed the post-normal society we basically live in. Because of that, what you find is that people find is. themselves insular and they find themselves kept into this particular uh, cliched mentality, which basically causes a lot of the oppression that we find in the world today. 
All right. Um, I, I want to open the lines. Um, Dr. Harge, you're still on air. So but please, if you're going to speak, make sure you're speaking to us. 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207. If you'd like to join in the conversation via text message, you can do that via these numbers, 40938. Again, 40938. That's our SMS line. Joining the conversation. We're trying to distinguish and decipher if there is a distinction, after, therefore, between progressive and traditional Islam. We do have Dr. Hargi, who is adamant and passionately speaking about the need for us to be Islamic-centric as society. We cannot speak of Islam as it is, as correct, because as he alleges, it has deviated from the Quran and effectively un-Islamic and un-Quranic. And that's why he's talking about it. And yet, we do have Yusuf who's suggesting, actually, the Eve, the very term of um, uh, progressive Islam is, 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 is obfuscating the main, main point. There is one Islam. That people have not adhered to it doesn't mean that it is no longer what it is. Very interesting points from both sides. 0891-104207. Dr. Harge, why is it that you're speaking of progressive Islam, which you are suggesting is from the Quran, and yet the Quran pro, uh, propagates one kind of Islam? And shouldn't you be propagating that one kind and not adding suffixes like or prefixes like su- progressive Islam? Of course we should have, there is only one kind of Islam, but for example, what do I have in common with Osama bin Laden, ISIS, Taliban, Boko Haram, and other fanatical fruitcakes? What do I have in common with them? But they, they are not they are Islam. They are not and, Islam. No, 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 no. They all say they are Muslim, and I believe a Muslim is someone who self-defines, whether I uh, agree with them or not, but they are all Muslim. Correct. Hold on, Dr. Hargi. The question is... Why do you de- redefine Islam? Because um, Islam, Osama bin Laden is not Islam. He may be a Muslim, but he is not Islam. You're not supposed to be comparing yourself to the man, but right, to the, because to the they, document. Like, because they do not rely exclusively on the Quran. I'm Quran and they are Quran not your point of reference, Dr. Hargi. No, no, hang on. I'm a Quran-centric Muslim. Yes. They rely on, on, on this man-made, manufactured, masculine sources of the Hadith, the supposed sayings of Muhammad, the Sharia, the supposed uh, divine law, and the fatwa, the supposed uh, religious verdict. They rely all on those things. That is not Islam to me. That is not even Islam to the Quran. In fact, the Quran castigates those who seek another source of law other than God. Chapter 6, verse 114. And then the Quran says elsewhere in chapter 67, verses, uh, uh, 69, verses 37, 38, why do you look for another book? In other words, this book, the Quran is complete, it's detailed, it says. Hold uh, on. God doesn't make a mistake. Right God there. Doesn't make a right there, Dr. Harge. Please tell us the surah there again. Yeah, chapter 67, verses uh, 37, 38. 67, about, uh, verse 37. Uh, 38, and of course, chapter 6, verse 114. Where the Quran makes it very clear that you must only seek uh, 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 authority, legitimacy from God's book, not from other secondary books. All the books, the hadith, the sharia books, the fatwas, these are all secondary man-made concoctions okay uh, people people might say well it's you know it's it's, it's contemporaneous in muhammad and so but no there is i'm a islamic historian there is no contemporaneous source of uh, uh, religious authority other than the quran in relation to muhammad's life all right all of these sayings mm. all of these sayings are written two three four five hundred years afterwards the sharia a thousand years afterwards the fatwas even to this 
today, they make a concoction. This morning, they'll make it a fatwa. The Taj Hage is a kafir. The Taj Hage is an apostate. The Taj Hage is A, B, and C. In fact, they, they've accused us of being homosexuals. They've accused us of being uh, heretical. They've accused me of being a British agent. None of these things are true, but they make fatwas about these things. Now, I would like to hear from Muslims whether they agree with these fatwas that, that, that are making the rounds. Okay. Why are they Hadith Muslims? Why are they Sharia Muslims? Why are they Fatwa Muslims? I am a Quran Muslim. I, uh, my appeal to all of my fellow believers is to become Quran Muslims and jettison these secondary sources. All right. So could I come um, in, Naya? Yes, could go I ahead, Yusuf. Could I make a point, Naya, on, in response to that? Could I just make a point? Yes, go ahead. I think it's, I, I think it's important we don't become... I, I, I've, I've heard Taj before, and I think the big question in the United Kingdom, he gets a bit emotive sometimes. I think... Let, let me just focus on one aspect. But very articulate on his points, nonetheless. Okay. Uh, well, let's just focus on the issue of the Sharia, which um, he's been alluding to a lot of the, Sharia literally means, Naya, um, the opening path of the way to the watering hole, and he should clearly know that. And it's used generically in the Quran. Now... In, in, when people talk about imposing the Sharia in today's world, here's what the problem is. A lot of the Sharia, what we have as a Sharia, in fact, constitutes fiqh. Now, fiqh is basically jurisprudence. What's jurisprudence? It's a juristic interpretation of classical jurists as they understood the law in their particular time, the 10th, 11th, and, of course, uh, the 12th century. And so the very term fiqh or jurisprudence was not invoked before what we would call the Abbasid period when it was, in fact, formulated and codified. What basically happened is that at that juncture, Muslim history was an expansionist phase, and so the jurisprudence obviously incorporated the logic of Muslim imperialism at that particular point in time. So when Muslim jurisprudence acquired its systematic developed form during the Abbasid period, it incorporated the logic of that particular time. And so that would mean the juristic interpretation, how jurists living in the 11th century saw Islam, saw the Quran, and how they developed the law in accordance with them. And they used a principle called ijtihad. That law became fossilized in history. And so when Muslim countries today talk about imposing the Sharia, in reality, fiqh, or jurisprudence, the contradictions that were inherent in the formulation of that jurisprudence comes to the fore. And so what we basically do, and law is by its nature meant to develop and meant to take into account the times and the changing context and circumstances, and Islamic law is no different. It's meant to do the same thing, and you've got a principle in Islam, which is ijtihad, which allows you to use the Quran and the prophetic paradigm and apply it in the context and society where you are living in. But when we use the context of the jurists living in the 11th century and attempt to apply their context to our context, that's where the problem is. So when you use the term Sharia loosely, in fact, Sharia literally means the way to the watering hole or the opening pathway. Sharia can be understood as Islamic law, but it's very much um, an individual's um, utilization of the Quranic text and the prophetic paradigm in developing the law. The law is meant to constantly develop and apply to, for example, the times that we live. So what is the Sharia's view, for example, on genetic engineering, on GMO products, and so on? The classical jurisprudence obviously never incorporated that because they never had access to that kind of knowledge. And so it's important that when we, you know, uh, kind of want to negate Sharia, that we understand the context and the context and the circumstances behind where we... The world back then was very simple. There was a world of Darul Islam and Darul Hub, the world, uh, the world of Islam and the world outside the House of Islam. And so the framers of the law... 
those who developed the law were not by that stage managers of society. And so the law merely became theory, which could not be modified. The framers of the law could not basically see where the inherent flaws lay and what aspects of the law needed fresh thinking and reformulation. And so based on that, we've interpreted a large part of their interpretation. So Sharia today is, in fact, the juristic interpretation of classical jurists. However, hold on, we hold can on, develop hold on. a Sharia. Uh, we can Yusuf, develop a Sharia based Yusuf, on the hold on, hold on. You, yeah. You're going on and you're not responding to what he's suggesting. He is giving you a clear line. He's saying Sharia, fatwas, and tadith are all extra scriptural. As you have sp- spoke, spoken before and used the Latin phrase generally used by Christians, sola scriptura, do you regard that, that the hadith, Sharia, and fatwas are scriptures? Fatwa, uh, existing Sharia, are certainly not part of Scripture. When you look at the Hadith tradition, there is a, a, a comprehensive. Um, but you're not answering the, the question the there, Yusuf. I, so, okay, can do I you answer regard- the question? I, let, let me. You did this the last time. Let me answer the question. Yes, I am. I'm still doing it right now. I need you to answer the question. Could we don't have all day. Could, could I answer the question? Yes and no in respect of the Hadith. There are certain aspects of Hadith which are certainly extra-scriptural, they are contradictory to the Quranic nature, and there are obviously other aspects within the Hadith literature which are in conformity with the Quranic text, and we have no problem in utilizing them. These, these Hadith developed two to three hundred years later, and so we have to kind of separate the wheat from the shaft to determine what's an authentic Hadith and what's an inauthentic Hadith. If a Hadith contradicts the Quran, you obviously reject it. If a Hadith conforms to the Quranic text, you accept it. With regards to fatwa, fatwa is simply a juristic opinion. I can pass it, can pass it, and even you can pass it, Naya. It's just simply an opinion by any person. It's extra-scriptural, and this person uses his understanding of Islam to pass a particular opinion. Today, anyone passes opinions on a whole range of issues. But when you, again, coming back to the answer, what is fundamentally scriptural? I would argue the Quran. The Hadith, well, yes, certain aspects of the Hadith are indeed part and part scriptural, and certain aspects of the Hadith are extra-scriptural. I think this is indeed a product of Islamic history, and I think we need not just to simply make a widespread generalization to reject everything. There are certain aspects which are good, certain aspects which are bad. That which is bad you reject, that which is good and in conformity with the Quranic text you accept. It's as simple as that. For example, certain women not coming to the masjid or not allowed in the mosque, in many mosques in South Africa, we have women not being allowed into the mosque. Yet in the time of the Prophet, women are, uh, attended the mosque, they spoke in the mosque, and they also challenged, for example, the Khalifs on certain juristic uh, legislation that they wanted to impact. So All it's right. a very much inclusive society, which is sadly lacking today. And the lack of that is not because of Islam, it's despite Islam. It's All right, hold the thought. The I need to take a break. When we, come back, when we come back, I'll give you an opportunity to breathe on the text that he has referenced us to, yes. alleging that this proscribes extra scriptural documents. And he referenced us to. Text? What, what's the text? He gave what's us the text? Quran, right, Surah 6, verse 114. Quran. 6, verse 114. Yeah, 6, verse 114. When we come back, I'm, I'm going to ask you to breathe on that. And also sure. um, to uh, Taj Hargay, you referenced it to Quran 67. Verse 37, there is no verse 37, it ends at 30. So please clarify which, which one I cl- you actually referring to, Taj Hargay. When we come back after the break. Yeah. Naye Lupondwana on Facts of Faith. All right, Taj Hargate, did you get the, clar- the correct surah there? You yeah. said surah 67 yeah, sorry, verse... I, 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 chapter 68, All right. verses 36, 37. My All apologies right. for that. Got it. Thank chapter you very much. This is in the following chapter. Lovely. Yeah. All right, hold now, on. Let, let Yusuf respond. Let Yusuf respond. Okay. Yes, go ahead, Yusuf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you quoted surah 6, verse 114. Say, shall I seek for judge other than God, when he who it is who has sent to you the book 
explained in detail. They know full well to whom we have been given the book, that it has been sent down from the Lord in truth, never be then of those who are in doubt. Of course I accept this, and of course this would obviously imply that any kind of fatwa or juristic opinion passed by anybody out there in the world, which obviously does not conform to the judgment of God and the guidance of God, obviously would reject. So I don't see the problem with that. Regards to the Hadith, again, this is the issue. In the time of the Prophet Anayah, he spoke, he would obviously speak personally, and he would obviously give a revelation to his community. There were obviously certain individuals that may record some of the things which you would say, um, in conformity with what is contained in the Quran. And historical, the historical research shows us that um, some of that particular uh, communications may have been preserved in the Hadith literature. Now, there's a whole uh, uh, standard in determining what is correct and what is incorrect and what is spurious and what is inauthentic. And again, I hold the point that if you have a Hadith which goes against the Quranic text, which goes against the judgment of God, which tells us something else, and you obviously reject it. It's as simple as that. Anything that is in con- contradiction with the guidance from God, which he has given, which is timeless and which is indeed eternal, how can I accept it? I obviously have to reject nothing. That is the problem. It goes so back the standard to the is the Quran. So the standard standard is is the Quran. The standard standard has always been the Quran. It can only be the Quran. And the problem of the oppression, just one point, Nair, the problem with the oppression and the ultra-conservatism that we see in society in Muslim communities is as a result of the manufactured accretions. It's not as a result of the Quran, which is a progressive book. So, for example, I made the point, women not being allowed in certain mosques, um, in Gray Street, by the way, which I've been conducting mosque tours, men, women, and children of different faiths are allowed regularly for since 1950. But certain mosques do not allow uh, women to attend the mosque. Um, that is that is totally contradictory to the Quranic mandate, and indeed also to the life of the Prophet Muhammad, where women were active shakers and movers of society. Now, again, it goes back to the notion: Is Islam uh, retrogressive, and does Islam need an updating? No, I would say the minds of Muslims that have been caught up in these manufactured and cultural traditions that have nothing to do with Islam, they need to be basically changed, and they need to go back to a Quranically-centered Islam, which is, in fact, fundamentally progressive. So coming back to this verse, Naya, uh, do I accept it? Of course I accept it. Right. And of course you'd use this as a standard in determining what hadith is authentic and what hadith is not authentic. So Got the Quran is your standard. Everything else that flows from it is uh, an interpretation. Lovely. Thank you very much. You sort of take some calls for you, gentlemen. 891 Let's go to Felix, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for holding, Felix. Go ahead. I, th- I think most of us that believe in God, we, ask, we will believe in one fundamental issue, that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Now, if God is omnipresent, that, is, that he, he is everywhere, therefore, our religion cannot be made to be searching for God, because God is everywhere. God cannot never be lost. What religion is attempting to do is to seek for us, because we are the one that is lost in this equation. We are the one that we have missed our ways. We don't recognize each other as one anymore, and we slaughter each other for nothing. So religion is trying and helping us to look for each other, to look for us, not to look for God. God cannot be lost to begin with, because he is everywhere. And that is my point. The religion that we talk about yesterday, today, and tomorrow is always to search for us and not to search for God. Okay, I think I lost Felix right there. Let's go to Durban. Lumgani, good morning. Is it Lukman? Lukman, good morning. <laughs> yes, good morning, Sion, and the guest. Go ahead, sir. Yes, uh, my comment is, in fact, I wanted to speak regarding the Quran and 
the tradition of the prophet. Yes. We have uh, your guest in the front. I can't remember his name. Taj something. Taj Hadi. He has like a problem. Yes. With regards to hadith, you know, he has like, he nullifies the point that hadith is part and parcel of our way of living. You understand? Because no, no, no. That's prophet, not what he said. Both these gentlemen agree that hadith is not scripture. Don't misquote him. Not scripture. Okay, okay. Sorry for that. But anyway, even that by saying it is not scripture is, uh, is actually wrong by that because the Prophet himself said to us that This is the exact quotation of the Prophet. Where, the prophet where, where, that, where does the Prophet I, say that? We can go to Kitabul uh, Iman for Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahhab. Okay. Also, you can check in. You can also... So this is what you're saying is not in the Quran. No, this is a tradition of the Prophet. Okay. All right. Yes. Also, the Prophet says that I have been given the Quran and something similar to it, which is his tradition, the way of life of the Prophet. So it goes together. For example, for example, the Quran does not tell us how many rakaat, and the guests know what I mean by rakaat. How many rakaat should you pray in salah? For example, the the morning prayer, which is called fajr. There are ways to perform that prayer. The Quran tells us just perform prayer, but it does not explain for us how many rakats you should pray. So you have to go to the tradition of the Prophet, peace be upon him, to explain to you how you should perform that prayer. So just relying on the Quran on its own, it is unfair because you'll be deleting the half of Islam. So the Prophet came, every book has to have a teacher. So the teacher of that book is the Prophet Muhammad. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, showed us and explained to us the Quran. That is what this hadith is what called. What Taj Hargay suggested is that it is not the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad. They were written a long time after he was dead, implying that perhaps whatever is written in the hadith, as you are alleging it is the sayings of the, of, 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 of the Prophet Muhammad, are not actually the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad. So if he's saying that, so it means he's also rejecting that the Quran is the sayings of Allah. Because the same way the hadith has been taken as today's life. The same way the Quran was brought to us. The Prophet did not know how to read, he did not know how to read and write, but he has recited the Quran to his companions and they wrote it down. You see what I'm saying? Likewise, the hadith of the Prophet, when he spoke to them, they also wrote it down separately and did not combine it with the Quran. Hold on, Lukman. Are you suggesting, Lukman, walk with me. Are you suggesting that when the Quran was written, it was written hundreds of years, 100, 200 years after the Prophet Muhammad was told these things no, by Allah? Is that written, what you're suggesting? No, it was written, it, it was written at the same time the Prophet recited it to the... To but the, that's the, what Taj Harge is suggesting, that the, the Hadith was written 100, 200 years after the Prophet Muhammad was dead. For so example, when you liken the two, you're downgrading and undermining the Quran. No, we are not, because... See, no, no, you, not we, you. When okay. you're saying okay, it's the same me, thing, you clarify. are downgrading me, the Quran. Let, let me clarify to you. You see the prayer, prayer, the first morning prayer. We know that it is two rakat. I got the point. I need you to answer the question the there, Lukman. Are you therefore suggesting that the Quran and the Hadith are the same? Yes, it goes together, hand in hand. Are they the it same? Goes hand in hand. You see, yes, let me just give you this answer. You see the Fajr prayer, the first morning prayer, which we do in the morning, 
Okay, I gotta move on, Lukman. You're not answering the question, and you're really disputing what everyone is saying here without giving us any documentation or evidence to that effect. I got your point. Thank you very much. We'll have both guests respond to you. Let's go to Solly in Durban. Good morning, Solly. Morning, Noel. How are you this morning? Go ahead. I'm all right, Solly. Go ahead. Yes, I, I really must admire Yusuf. You know, he's been cornered by you and by Tag uh, Hage there, but uh, he's standing in gun. I really appreciate that. However, I got to ask uh, this, this professor, this doctor, whatever it is, what is he smoking? Because whatever he's smoking is very strong, really. Which, um, which doctor are you referring to? Because Dr. we have no Hage. one who's smoking in, this, in, in here. Well, it, from what he's saying, it sounds like he's smoking something very strong. But anyway, what I'd like to tell him is this. If he wants to accept the Quran, well and good. We all accept the Quran. If he doesn't want to accept the Hadith, then don't accept it. Okay? But don't force me onto, on, onto me. He's standing on a position of poor knowledge. He can't even quote a verse of the Quran. He but has yeah, he quoted also, three texts. Yes, but he, 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 yes, he has quoted a verse which he's not, not sure of. No, but no. You, you, you he misquoted the number. Exist. He said 67 yes, but instead you of 68. yourself said it did not exist. So, yes. he does not know what he's talking. Hold on. So anyway, hold on. if whoa, he whoa, wants whoa, to whoa, continue, whoa, whoa, sorry, no, sorry. no, you give me a chance. No, sorry, you, you seem to no, be no. controlled. No, yes, exactly. That's what I'm here to do. We are not going to come on radio and denigrate one another we are going to debate vigorously but we are not going to denigrate one another i am here to state clearly when he has quoted a text i need to find and verify the text that's why i bring the quran to the studio and when he has misquoted it i need to correct him please give us exactly what you're saying the supply is with yusuf when he's saying something i need to make sure that he says what it means to say that's my job my job here is to direct this conversation to get the facts of the issue. If I walk away with Surah 67, 37, you will not be helped. I will not be helped. And yet the name of the program is Facts of Faith. If he's stating a fact, he needs to give us the correct text and we need to read that text and verify whether what he's saying is actually true. Please, let us respect one another. I am open to rigorous and vigorous, hard-hitting debate. But respectful, thank you. Yusuf, um, we have uh, two minutes to conclude our conversation and uh, two minutes with uh, Dr. Hargey. Uh, this text message I'd like to read for you, and I would like both of you gentlemen to, re- to, to respond. Dr. Hargey, are you listening? Please get Dr. Hargey back on the line. All right, let me read some text messages for you, gentlemen. And I'm hoping wherever he is, Dr. Hargey is listening. And Yusuf. One text message reads, does Yusuf accept the Hadith or not? Second one says, no matter what they say about Islam, see how many people embrace Islam every day. It's the fastest growing religion in the world. Why is that so? That one is not signed also. Now the text message reads, change is dynamic and it goes with movement of times. If the Muslims themselves feel there should be small changes in their religion, so let it be. Nothing remains static in life. That's see Q. Thank you very much, Sita, for signing your text message. Another one says, if Harge only follows the Quran from where did he learn to perform Salah since there is no description of Salah in the Quran? That one is not signed. Another one says, amazing what the world resorts to for its justification. Is the Quran about the precepts of Allah or of man? Uh, P.S. The Creator is always one. He does not adjust to suit. Okay. That uh, one is not signed also. Thank you very much. Nonetheless, another one says, Islam was, is, and will always be for all. The word of God cannot be changed to suit the munafiq. 
I'm hoping I'm reading that correctly. Um, uh, FM. Another one says, so if the Quran should be made relevant, does it mean it should be rewrote or rewritten, supposed to be written, to the relevance of present century? That C. Paul Tutu say. Uh, I think they meant to, they, what they were saying is to rearrange Islam to fit Islam as is pr- propagated by the Quran, not rewrite the Quran. Right. Another one says the creator does adjust to suit on rare occasions, but his pre- precepts set in stone and we must get there. We can't adjust his principles to suit us. Go back to Allah. Now that one is not signed also. Another one says the Holy Quran speaks uh, okay, the Holy Quran speaks about prayer and charity, but the method of prayer and charity can only be found in the Hadith. And the final text message for now is Quran and Islam are inseparable in that any attempt to misquote and misinterpret them are men concocted in order to enslave and imperialize humanity, especially the poor and women in particular. From Bangizwe Ngosi Gabogweni MP. Thank you very much in Pumalanga. I'm assuming that's MP standing from Pumalanga. Gentlemen, as I said, we have two minutes to conclude our conversation. I'm going to start with you, uh, Yusuf. One minute to conclude, and then Dr. Uh, uh, Harge, one minute to conclude. Yusuf, go. Okay, I think criticism is very important. Uh, for me, the greatness of Muslim civilization, in fact, lay its criticism. The early Muslim scholars were very critical, even those who canonized the Islamic law, and in fact expected those who would follow them would be equally critical. And so the whole idea, again, a lot of the issues were on hadith, hadith collection. But this was based on criticism, but the generations that subsequently followed them did not pay much attention to that aspect of criticism and a lot more to following their predecessors. And so coming back to the entire theme of the discussion, I would argue that, yes, certainly, uh, ordinary Muslims who have considerable concerns and moral dilemmas about what's happening around the world, uh, about the current state of affairs of Islam, they must reclaim the basic concepts of Islam and reframe them in a broader context, which it was basically meant to mean. The Quran is fundamentally a progressive book. It leads and speaks about the liberation of women, the liberation of slaves, the liberation of humanity from the servitude of humanity to the servitude of the one and only God that there is. Um, uh, all of us as a community must understand our faith, reclaim its complete spiritual meaning as a struggle for peace and justice as a lived reality for all people everywhere. And I think within Islamic parlance, within the Islamic source material itself, you have that particular um, um, uh, tools and concepts which can basically give rise whereby you become a source of liberation to the world around you and not a source of oppression around you. All right. Dr. Hargay, one minute, go. Yeah, I think it's what's important is that uh, your other guests actually agreed with me. We need a Quran-centric Islam, a Quran-centered Islam. You can't have a Quran-centric Islam when you give equal, uh, equivalence of authority to the Hadith, the Sharia, and the Fatwas. In fact, all the contradictions, all the problems of modern-day Islam, whether it's violence, whether it's jihad, whether it's the position of women and so forth, all of this can be traced to these concocted sources, the Hadith, the Sharia, and the Fatwas. We need a Quran-centric Islam, which is a timeless uh, way of approaching uh, religion and humanity. And yes, we talk about, uh, the Quran talks about liberation of slaves, uh, in theme and emancipation and so forth. But the Hadith talks the opposite. You know, we, we need to go back to the source. 
solo scriptura. If we only follow the Quran, we need, we, we will succeed eventually, ultimately. And this idea that you need a hadith to know how to pray, how to give charity and so forth, these people don't actually read the Quran. The Quran provides you the broad framework. You can give two and a half percent charity, you can give two, twenty-five percent charity. Our time is up. This idea of of, 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 of just using your Dr. own Hargan, mind. Our time that is, is the way up. forward. Got to conclude our conversation right there. To both of you, Yusuf Ismail and Taj Hargay, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. We really marvel at your insights. From me, Nayadu Pondona, and the team, Joey, and... Oh, what, what, what? Yeah, the whole team. Have a wonderful day at Godspeed. Up next, the news with Kirat Lala. <laughs>